unmute. Good morning. How is everyone today? I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat and uh, singing and preaching. I'm going to have my tea up here with me. So thank you to Star in the cafe for making me some tea this morning. I appreciate that a lot. Um, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, you are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said to a crowd of people in a Sermon on the Mount before he fed the 5,000. He says, pretty much towards the beginning, he had like just gotten through the basic intro, and then he goes, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, you are the light of the world. Today we're uh, continuing on in our series called The Church Is Dot, Dot, Dot. And today, this, the way we're going to finish that sentence for today is the church is the light. The church is the light. And that's, we get that, we're not just making up these random ways to finish the church is with whatever we want our church to be. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and we start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going through it and saying, okay, this seems to be, a, it was a letter written to a church in the city of Ephesus, it was written to the, the church of that city, and it was telling, him, telling this church what you need to be like. And so it applies, yes, to our lives as individual Christians, but more importantly than that, throughout the whole book of Ephesians, there are these themes of who you are to be as the church. And so when we say the church is set, set free, the church is called, the church is the light we're getting that straight out of scripture, straight out of an apostle writing specifically to a church about being the church. So today we're seeing these passages today, and it's, it's quite a few passages. So are you ready to buckle in and read your Bible today? We're gonna, if you're not used to reading your Bible, we're going to read it today, okay? But we are going to be talking about what the light is and how to become the light, how to make sure that we're representing the church how we're supposed to. So let's start off with that verse. We'll continue on in Matthew 5, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I love that first song we sang today, don't you dare hide your light. There's a world outside your window, so don't let it pass you by. We don't pick songs just for the way they sound either. Believe me, I'm like listening to the words like over and over and over again and praying, God, what do you want our church to learn through worship, but also how do you want our church to worship you? We think a lot about uh, how do I like to worship God? What is my personal preference in worshiping God? Well, I like this type of music, or I'm more of a music person, or I'm more of a prayer person, or I'm more of a serve others person. But what if we asked ourselves not, how do I like to worship God? But what if we asked ourselves, how does God like to be worshipped? Because, I mean, you, we don't like the five love languages and stuff, right? So if Kyle is like, well, I am going to wash every single lick of dishes, all of them, but that's not my love language, and I actually wanted to wash dishes because I know the right way they're supposed to go in the dishwasher. So it actually makes me upset if you load the dishwasher because then I have to reload the whole dishwasher, and oh my goodness, there's still oatmeal crusted on one of them. That's not coming off. It's going to be crusted even worse after the drying cycle goes on, right? So that's not actually my love language, but he's like, but you should feel loved because that's my love language, and I love you that way. This is not an actual example. This is just a fake example, okay? I promise, it's not a real example. 
uh, fair fighting rules 101 for marriages is don't ever give your spouse a voice when you're arguing. Hey, why do you do that? Don't do that. Don't give them a voice. Fair fighting rules for marriage. That's a bonus tip. Okay. But if he's like, oh my goodness, you should feel loved because I did something loving to you. But that's not my love language. I don't actually, it's not my fault if I don't, now I can be a mature person and be like, I appreciate you for doing that. I see your effort. But I may not get warm and fuzzies over that. Like I might get warm and fuzzies over staring lovingly into each other's eyes over a candlelit dinner that he made for me. Then I'm like, oh, he's listening to my deepest hearts and dreams and desires. That is like, that does it for me over cleaning all the dishes. I want to clean the dishes. Sometimes. Sometimes I want to break. But most of the time, I want to load the dishwasher. Do you get what I'm saying, though? What if, why don't we ask God, how do you like to be worshipped? How do you like to be worshipped? That was all a sub point. Okay, back to the text. Matthew 5, verses 14. Start in verse 15 with me. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When I think of this, putting a basket over a lamp instead of setting it on a stand for everyone to see, just imagine with me in your house, a lamp in your house. Imagine, get it in your head, a lamp that you have in your house, and then you just put a blanket over it, but you always leave it on. For one, waste of electricity money, right? Waste, okay? Number two, what if it catches on fire? There's obviously still a light, right? The light is still burning, but it becomes destructive. So we could either be just wasting our light, being hidden, wasting that electricity money, right? Or we could have this burning light within us that if it's covered up and not used, it becomes destructive. Now we might think, how, how in the world could a burning light become destructive? Well, if your zeal for God or your passion for God is not channeled in the way that he has for you, we flip this pendulum swing to, oh my goodness, I cannot operate in my gifts and my passion and my talent, and then all of a sudden, you turn into this burning fury that just wrecks everything in its path. Instead of it being channeled in a healthy way in the order that God desires. He's a God of order, not of chaos, it says. So something good, if we hide away something good, that spark that God gives us at salvation, that flame that begins to grow when we receive the Holy Spirit, if we hide it, if we don't let it be properly channeled, if we hide it away, it can either become wasted or it can become destructive, and he says, let it stand out. Put the lamp where it's supposed to be and let it function the way it's supposed to function. Turn on the lamp. Let it shine where it's supposed to shine. In verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So he clarifies. I love the so that's in the Bible. It's very good for me because I'm a why person. I just ask why over and over and over again. I'm basically a three-year-old. Why in the world is the sky blue? Someone just tell me. 
Why are you doing that? I do not understand. Please tell me why. I want to know why for everything. You bring a problem to me, I'm like, well, why'd that, why'd that problem happen? Can you please go over the barriers with me? And then we can, and then uh, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Sean are going to be laughing because we just had a meeting this week. And I'm like, identify the barriers. Now we identify solutions to each barrier. Now we prioritize the best solution. Like, I want it to be structured. But I need to know the why, because if we can get at the why, we can get at the root of the problem. And you know that if you just chop down weed, it shoots right back up twice as fast. you got to take out the root. So, so that he doesn't tell us to shine our light for no reason. He doesn't tell us to shine it in a closet. He actually says, don't do that. He doesn't tell us to shine it for no purpose. He has a so that. Shine your light so that. Do good deeds so that. Now, he's not saying you need to do it to brag. He's not saying you need to do it to get your own glory. It's so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So side note here, just a tidbit, if your good deeds are giving you more glory than they're giving God, they're not right. A good thing misplaced is still the wrong thing. A good thing in the wrong time is still the wrong thing. We do our good works to glorify and bring praise to our Father in heaven. If we put our talents out there to get our own praise, and it doesn't point others to God, then they're worthless. It's not worth it. Because we're here today and gone tomorrow. We're here today and gone tomorrow. It's not worth it. There's this great book called Ecclesiastes, and I remember reading it in high school. I had a study hall, and I was just like reading, reading, and the author is like, I did this and did this and this, did this and found out it was worthless and life is meaningless. And I'm like, okay, he's going to get to the point where he tells us what makes life worth it. And he just goes on and goes on. I tried this. I drank everything. I became impoverished. I spent all the wealth and riches. I married all the wives. I did singleness and celibacy. I did, he goes through all, I did everything. I did all the abundance and all of the poverty, and I found out it was all worthless in life is meaningless. And he keeps going. And I like powered through this book in one study hall. And I was like, I, this is suspenseful. This is some good reading. He is really setting us up in the tension here. And at the end, it still says it was all worthless and life is meaningless. Spoiler alert, you never get a good ending in that book. The point is, on our own and in and of ourselves, and this is the theme that's been mentioned the past two Sundays and will probably come up the rest of this series that we find through Ephesians, is apart from the greater body and purpose we find in life in Jesus Christ, it's worthless. He and his mission is what makes what we do worth it. That's what gives us purpose. When we have this desire to be a part of something bigger, that's what it is. The Bible says he's placed eternity in the hearts of all men. Not just the ones who have gotten saved. Not just the ones who have given their life to Jesus. Not just the ones who have some special level of authority or of spirituality or maturity. He's placed eternity in the hearts of all men. And if, I just want to be a part of something bigger. There's got to be more than this. That's what it is. This is what it is. Because apart from him and his purpose for his church, what we have to do individually is worth nothing unless it's through the lens of him and his mission for us here. That's what gives our life purpose. So the light, uh, we talked about how we can try to hide our light, but let me tell you, the big L light cannot be hidden. It says right here, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, first verse, like a city on a hilltop that cannot 
be hidden. So when it comes down to it, he tells us not to hide our light, right? But we sometimes think the world is going to squelch out, whatever word that is, the light, snuff out the light of the church or snuff out the light of Christianity. And let me tell you, the church burns brighter when it's driven underground. In the countries where it's driven underground, the church burns brighter. Darkness cannot snuff out the light. Darkness can't do it. There's darkness in this room, but the lights are turned on. The darkness isn't overpowering the light. The light overpowers the darkness. So a light can't be hidden. So what does that mean for us as individuals? Either we be a part of it or we don't. That's it. I want to be a part of the light. So I'm not going to snuff it out. I'm not going to cover it. I'm not going to stifle it to where it ends up burning and being destructive either. I'm going to let it shine in its proper place so that I can be a part of the big L light so that I can be a part of the light. You're either part of it or you aren't because the light of Jesus will not be snuffed out. It will not and it cannot. So are we part of it or are we not? It gives light. That's the other thing. It gives light. We don't force light to happen. We don't make it. We give it. It's a spirit of generosity. It says it gives light. He gives light. It's an open hand gift. Take it. Share the light. Share the light. Good deeds for the purpose of praising God, it says. There's that purpose in it. Our actions are a way to offer praise. Praise isn't just writing down your gratitude list every morning. Praise isn't just saying, I thank God. Praise isn't just singing a song on a Sunday morning. Praise is so many things. The Bible says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That everything we do is to praise him. I think one of our songs today mentioned something about that too. That everything we do, my life built on you is to praise you and bring you glory. All for him and for his glory. That's the purpose in everything. So now that we have our little setup from when Jesus originally said, you're the light, let's go to when a few decades later, we have Paul writing to one of the early churches in Ephesus. Ephesians, starting in chapter 5. Now, you know that we've done chapter 1 and chapter 2 so far. I don't think we've quite gotten into chapter 3. I'm going to skip over to 5 because there's a lot of common themes in some of these chapters here. And we're picking out the, the common themes here because uh, I think Pastor Kyle said it last week. Paul is known for run-on sentences. He's like, and so, and then, and so, and then, and so, and then. No punctuation, no periods, none of that. He likes the run-on sentence. So he kind of rambles. He maybe was a little ADHD or something. And so he'll talk about the light, the light, the light. Then he'll deviate and go somewhere else. And then he goes back to the light. Oh, yeah, I was talking about the light. And then he comes back. So we're, gonna, we're not going to go like... One, two, three, four, five, six through Ephesians necessarily, but we're going to follow his themes and his uh, categories here. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians 5, and then we'll come back to what came before that. But he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. We're going to pause here. So I, I skipped down to verse 9 and 10. But we're going to pause here. It says, love overflows into action. 
It's not just love that we feel. It's not just warm and fuzzies. It's not just saying that I'm not going to hate so-and-so and not ever addressing. It's love that overflows into action. We talked a few weeks ago about how love is a bold choice, decision, and courage. It's an action. Love is a choice. It's an action. It's our life in movement. It's not just sitting here passively loving. That's not the kind of love, if that even is love, that God calls us to. Love overflows into action. It produces good. Pick up in verse 11 with me. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. And he's quoting Old Testament scripture at this point. So scripture quoting scripture. Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Not just wise, though, but it's wisdom, again, that leads to action. It's not just, okay, I'm going to sit in my lazy boy with all this wisdom I've acquired. I'm just going to sit here and watch TV with all of that wisdom. No, it's wisdom that leads into action. It leads into us doing something. It makes these good deeds be used in the right time, in the right place, for the right purpose. What we were talking about earlier, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Wisdom helps direct and channel that light in the good deeds to be effective. Not just wise, but wisdom that leads to action. How do we know someone is wise? by what we see in their life. If I want to ask for parenting advice, I'm going to go ask a parent who has kids a few stages, like life stages down the road from me, and I like how their kids turned out, and I'm going to be like, hey, give me some parenting advice because you did a good job. What made that work? Can you please tell me? That's what I'm going to ask parenting advice from, right? Someone who you like the fruit of their life. The fruit of their life is something you want to imitate. That's how you can know when someone is wise. It's because their wisdom has turned into action. What do they live like? Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He's saying he wants us to be intentional. He wants us to be alert. I love this phrase, take every opportunity. We've talked about it in some messages before, but all through the Gospels we see where it talks about Satan or the enemy waits for the opportune time. And here we have it used in the opposite way. You take every opportunity. He's going to lie around and wait to pounce at the opportune time for him. But he won't get an opportune time if we're sitting around watching for every opportunity and being intentional and alert and ready for the opportunities that God presents. And understand God to know whether it's him or not. We need to understand who God is. So I I don't know if that's God or if that's my thought or if that's advice of the world or if that's advice from the word. But if we are continually pursuing God, it's preparation for when those decisions come up. As we press into knowing God, to knowing Jesus, to knowing his spirit, to knowing the word and what he says, then when those opportunities come up, we're going to know the right path to take easier. We don't need a neon sign from heaven. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We already have everything we need. We just don't use it. It's like if I'm making pancakes and I have a spatula and it's a great spatula. It's like my favorite spatula until my dog chewed it up. But I had a spatula, right? And I'm making pancakes with this wonderful spatula. 
And I'm like, man, I just can't get this pancake to flip, and it won't flip, and I can't get it to go. And it's like, but there's a spatula right there. Just use the spatula and the nonstick spray. But we don't use it. And we're like, well, how, how am I supposed to know how to flip the pancake? How am I supposed to know how the pancake cannot be crumbly but actually be in a pancake shape? Well, use the tools that you have sitting in the drawer right next to the stove in the kitchen. God's given us his spirit. He's given us wisdom and discernment. He's given us people in our life with the prophetic gift to speak knowledge and words to us on his behalf. He's given us his word to study and to learn and to know and to recall to memory. He's given us the tools, but yet we don't use it. And then when a decision comes up or a crossroads comes up, we're like, why don't I know what to do? Because you don't use the spatula. you got to take the spatula out of the drawer and use it to flip that pancake. So when it comes time and there's a little bubbles outside of the pancake, get out the spatula. But hey, if you didn't even prepare before you made the pancake by buying a spatula because the dog chewed up the last one, you don't have a spatula to turn. So you don't only have to get out the spatula, you got to make sure there's a spatula there. So we've got to use the word of God and the Holy Spirit and get to know him and develop a relationship and a knowledge and understanding of his word so that when the time comes to make the pancake, we have a spatula to use. So it's not just the moment of the fork in the road that we use the Bible or that we lean on the Holy Spirit. It's developing and cultivating that knowledge of him over time to where we can use it when the time comes up. Continuing on in verse 18, it says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love here it's not a list of don't, 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 don't. It says instead of this thing that I think you should avoid, do this. It replaces it with something positive. It's not just taking something away. It's fill it in with this instead. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God, for the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see that this filling of the Holy Spirit, it's a filling that overflows. It's a feeling that overflows in singing, in praise, in thanks, and from gratitude deep within us. It overflows because we have this deep, intimate knowledge of God that he's laid the foundation for. And then we're filled with the Holy Spirit instead of doing worldly things that distract us, that take away our sober-mindedness and our alertness. And instead, we're filled with the Holy Spirit even more to where it overflows. And it spills out to everyone around us in thanks and praise and gratitude. And didn't we already see praise somewhere else in Jesus' sermon? So that your good deeds will bring others to praise him? See how it's tying together here? So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is an overflow of praise and of thanks and of gratitude. Uh, I don't know how many of you have watched the series The Chosen. It's about Jesus and his disciples. Um, it's impacted way more than they ever expected. It's a crowd-funded um, production, so they don't have any funding other than just crowdsourced by people donating or buying merchandise, things like that. But they're making this series on the life of Jesus while he was on earth, and The Chosen is actually not in reference to Jesus being the chosen one, but in reference to his disciples who were chosen to follow him. And so it really shows kind of like 
what their lives would have been like at the time and what things they would have been struggling with. And anyway, it's a great, great show. I highly recommend it. But uh, I want to get resaved every time I watch an episode, pretty much. I just, I really like it. Talk about getting your fire to burn a little more. Watch The Chosen. Um, that's my recommendation. Anyway, they got, they did this project, okay, where they recruited nine Gen Z people. Now, if you don't know what Gen Z is, there's like the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, I'm a millennial, and then Gen Z is coming up after the millennials, okay? Gen Z is like, they're in their early 20s now to like my kid's age probably is going to be the span of Gen Z. So they got Gen Zers together from all kinds of different faith backgrounds or no faith background at all. And they didn't tell them what they were doing. They just said, you're going to binge watch a television show and you're going to tell us your unfiltered opinions on the show. And they get into this watch room, and they show a trailer, and all of a sudden, it's a Jesus movie trailer. They're like, oh, my gosh, there's a baptism in the back for converts at the end. Like, they're making fun of it, you know? But then they start watching it almost immediately. Their expectations are flipped upside down. Almost immediately, because the Jesus portrayed in this show is a Jesus who has emotions, who has compassion, who has empathy, it's a Jesus who kind of flips things on their head. It's a Jesus who is soft and compassionate, yet authoritative and strong. It's a Jesus who laughs, who makes raspberries for the little kids. It's a Jesus who you can chuckle with and also want to follow. And these are a lot of people in this documentary were coming from really severe church hurt, extreme I'm, I'm talking extremely abusive, severe church hurt. There was one involved in a cult. There was one who was um, sexually abused repeatedly at church, and when elders of the church walked in and saw it happening, they never made it stop. There were, there's extreme levels of church hurt. Now, I think we've all been hurt by church in some way or another. It's part of the game, doing life with people. But they've come from some really warped and twisted backgrounds. And as we, we were watching it, they're crying. They're like, that Jesus is a stud. I want to follow him. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, oh, my goodness. This, this isn't what I knew about Jesus. And they're like, oh, my goodness, I can see myself in that. I can relate to this scenario, watching his followers. And the type of people that he chose were not perfect people. The type of people that he chose weren't following the religious steps perfectly. The people he chose were rejected and ostracized. And then he said, you're the light. All you broken mess of misfits, <laughs> you're the light. And the thing is, while we were watching that documentary, I was like crying the whole time and just like also upset. I was like crying because, yay, these people are experiencing the real Jesus, but crying because, oh, my goodness, I can't believe the church has hurt people so badly. I mean, you can believe it, but you also can't believe it. And then Kyle looked over and he says, people love Jesus. People love Jesus, who Jesus really is. The problem is, we who are supposed to be little Christ, Christian means little Christ, we who are supposed to be imitate God, we who are supposed to look like Jesus, be his hands and feet and body on this earth, we don't do a good job showing that Jesus. So they think they don't love Jesus, but if they saw the real Jesus in the second they do, no matter what the body of Christ has done to them, the moment they see the real Jesus, they're moved to tears. Because Jesus is irresistible. 
The real Jesus is irresistible. And the only reason people don't love him is they haven't ever heard of him or been shown him or they've been shown him wrong. My definition of sin is lying about who God is. Anything we do or say or act that tells a lie about who God actually is, that's a sin. We are called to tell the truth about who Jesus is. Not just with what we say, not just with how we protest, not just with our Facebook posts. We're supposed to live in a way that tells the truth about who Jesus is. And when the way we live lies about who Jesus is, that's when we're sinning. That's my definition of sin. When the way we live our life inside and out, behind closed doors and on the stage, does not align with who Jesus is, that's a sin. Because people really love Jesus. So how do we make sure we're the light? How do we make sure we're showing the real Jesus, not just adding to the darkness? Number one today is no God. No God. And if you've been around here very long, you know our four values are no God find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And let me just tell you, as I was going through this passage and prepping, I could have very easily made these four, or these points, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. The reason there are four values, they're the pillars of this church, is because you see it everywhere in the Bible. <laughs> you see it absolutely everywhere. And some of you will see it as we go through this today. But I decided to switch it up a little bit. Make it fresh and not redundant. So I just reworded things a little bit for you. But it's right there in the Bible. We actually use Ephesians for the main verse. If you go to growth track, the main verse on where we get these four steps is from Ephesians. But number one today is know God. We have to know God to be like him. We cannot be like him if we don't know who he is. You think about like someone you really look up to. You want to be more like them. You got to read their autobiographies. You got to read their memoirs. If possible, you're going to sit down with them and actually talk to them and pick their brain. You got to know someone to be more like them. Hey, I like the outcome of your life. Now, what did you do to get there so that I can become more like you? We have to know God to be like Him. If Jesus is the light of the world and we're to be little Christs, then we need to know who He really is. If we're supposed to imitate him, we have to know him to know what we are imitating. And it can't just be what other people have said about him. It can't just be what we think because of whatever years we spent in Sunday school. Though it's good stuff, but we need to know him for ourselves. Not just take on the faith that was passed down to us, but take the faith that was passed down to us to the next level. And know it personally. Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21 says this, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. See, it starts with prayer. He's praying for this church constantly. When he thinks of the church, when he thinks of what they're going through, of the good things they do, the struggles that they have, he falls to his knees and he prays to the Lord. It starts with prayer. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots, so we talked about uprooting the old already. Your roots now are going to grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Like that song, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with him, that we know him so much we can say we're deeply rooted in him and it would take a whole lot to uproot us. 
that we are not easily tossed about by the winds of this world and by different opinions and different theologies. We're just going to go with whatever the coolest YouTube video says. But that we're so deeply rooted in him, we're not easily swayed or uprooted. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. We've got to build our understanding of who he is. So we're rooted in his love, then we continue to build our understanding of his love. The only way you know how well someone loves is by really knowing them, is by really being in relationship with them. Then you have this deep understanding of how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love is. Verse 19, he says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever. Amen. Now that was just the end. He, that's chapter three. Okay, he's only halfway through the book. And it sounds like it's like one of those moments where you have a mic drop in the middle of a sermon. Then you're like, wait, I have two more points. <laughs> we got to keep going here. But he says we need to be overwhelmed with his love so much that it can't be contained. And that looks like power and fullness and glory and him being able to accomplish more than we've ever asked or imagined. That's what it says right there. That when we're overflowed and overwhelmed with his love, it's, that's what it looks like. After we know God, we need to, number two, be equipped. Number two today is be equipped. Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then verses 11 through 3, he says, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Come to Growth Track to find out more about what those spiritual gifts are, where in the Bible they are, how you can use them. To learn more about those, we do Growth Track every third and fourth Sunday. So he's given us all these special groups. And then he goes on to this specific subset of gifts. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility specifically. These five are a little different than some of the other spiritual gifts. In that their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We call them either the fivefold ministry gifts, you might hear it used that way, or the equipping gifts is another way to talk about them. This will continue, verse 13, this will continue, these equipping gifts, in operation until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That seems like a tall order. The full and complete. Unity throughout the entire body of Christ. That's everywhere. Not just our local church, but everywhere. Unity in the entire body of Christ and measuring up to the full standard of Christ. That seems like an impossible <laughs> order. Then he's saying everyone has a spiritual gift, but there's these five equipping gifts. So why are they here? Let's talk about that. Why are they here? Are they to lead the church? No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say the apostles, po apostles pastors, prophets, teachers evangelists are here to lead the church. That's not what it says. It says they're here to equip the church. They're here to resource, train, empower the church. Um, Jesus is the head of the church. And we see that in chapter 5 that we'll get to on another Sunday, that Jesus is the head of the church, not a pastor. This verse right here is the only time the word pastor is translated in English to the word pastor. The original Greek word that they translate 
in Ephesians 4 to pastor is only in this part of the whole entire Bible. Everywhere else, that same original language word is translated shepherd or elder. Shepherd or elder. We have just called whoever is like employed by the church to preach and teach. We've called them pastors for whatever reason. But we don't see anything in scripture that says you link that word with that role. So are we, are the fivefold gifts, as we go back to why are they here, are they here to do all the ministry? No. It says they're to equip the church to do the ministry. They're to equip God's people to do ministry. That's his dream. That's his call. That's his purpose of the church. So what do they do then? Let's go through real briefly. Number one, apostles. Think about the apostle Paul in the Bible. He went out the provinces of Asia and all over. He went to all these different cities where there weren't churches. He planted a church. He raised up a leader. He said, you take this church. I'm going to go and I'm going to start another church over here. And I'm going to start a church. And I'm going to raise up a leader and I'm going to step back and let you take them. I'm going to check in with you guys. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you wisdom and advice when you need it. But you lead the church. So an apostle raises up leaders and starts new ministries and churches. That's the role of an apostle. Okay, then a prophet is simply someone who speaks on behalf of God. It's not necessarily telling the future, although sometimes that happens. But if we look at the whole Bible, most of the prophets in the Bible are calling God's people to repentance. So that's about the present, what we've done and what we need to do about it right now. There's not as many prophecies about the future. Most of the time, prophecies are about current time, what we need to do for individual people, for groups of people. That's the majority of prophecy. So it's speaking a message on behalf of God that God's given you for someone specific or for a group of people. Then we have evangelists. Evangelists are people who are particularly good at striking up conversation, uh, building relationship with people, particularly those who are far from God and do not know him, for the purpose of leading them into a relationship with the Lord. They're really good at like that, that first step kind of in building that relationship to lead someone to the Lord. They're really good at that. A pastor, like we talked about, is a shepherd, someone who's caring and compassionate, who knows the condition of the flock and cares for the flock, who goes and rescues and cares for the hurting ones and continues to build up the strong ones. That's what a pastor is. We might think of like counselors a lot in this type of role. People who are just very caring and compassionate. And then number five is teachers. Self-explanatory, they teach the word of God. <laughs> that one doesn't need as long of an explanation because we use that one pretty correctly most of the time. Teaching the word of God to others in a way that helps them understand. So why are they here? They're to equip the church through those five ways to equip the church to do God's work, to build up the church until we're in such unity that we're spiritually mature and fully and completely reflecting Christ. Now, that's a lot to do. But we've got to be willing to be equipped by these people in our lives. There can be people in our lives that we recognize as given these gifts that have some measure of spiritual authority with them in these five gifts. And we need to be able to submit to allowing them to help equip us. Why don't we want to grow? Why don't we want to be better? We need to have some level of that. And even Kyle and I, as we are gifted in some of these equipping gifts, and as we're positioned in this role as what we call pastor here, we still submit ourselves to being equipped by others in our life who have some of those five-fold ministry gifts for us. One of our overseers is very evangelistic, very um, 
and very apostolic, extremely. Then we have people who speak into our lives who are very gifted in the gift of teaching. We have people who are, we have a lot of people very gifted in evangelism now that I'm thinking through some of our overseers. But we try to have people in our lives who are gifted in each of these things so that we can also be equipped so that we can be equipped as well to be doing what God's called us to do. We have to be willing to submit ourselves to a level of spiritual authority. So as we're being equipped, number three is we need to grow up. Number three today is grow up. <laughs> How do we know if we are the light? We've got to know God, be equipped, and grow up. How do we know if we're growing? Now, this is like a big chunk of scripture and I want to get through it pretty quick. But it's some lists, and I have the lists listed out in your, um, your what's called sermon notes that are in your welcome guide when you come in and get those. It has the list, and those lists are taken straight from the scriptures that we've used today on what immaturity looks like and what it doesn't. So how do we know if we're growing? It's if we have more symptoms of maturity than we have symptoms of immaturity. Okay? If we have more symptoms of health and less symptoms of COVID, we are growing healthy away from COVID, for example, correct? If we have more symptoms, though, of not being healthy, or if we have more symptoms of being childlike, of not understanding, of making immature choices, then we're more immature, we're more childish, we're more young. But if we have more symptoms, more signs, of maturity, then that's how we know if we're mature. So let's look at what he says are the signs and symptoms of immaturity first. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. So he's saying we'll no longer be childish. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. We won't be easily swayed. Can I give you a word of caution? The teachers who call themselves Christians on your TV or your internet, please be cautious. Know their references. Look up what they tell you. We are in a world so oversaturated with, in a, in a good way most of the time, where we have resource easily to Christian teaching constantly. But there are so many who are sneaking in and whether they mean it to you or not, maybe they truly think they're doing right. They're sneaking in these theologies that are harmful. And they're causing guilt in ways that are harmful. We are not supposed to be condemned. And they are saying that they might be some of these gifts when they're not. And that something is a word from God when we have to check a word from God against the word. So be good stewards of what you learn. Check it against the word. You have the actual word of God here. Check what I say against the word of God. I try to mainly just take a giant chunk of scripture that's maybe too big for a Sunday morning and just go through that. Because let me tell you, it says teachers are going to be judged more strictly, first of all. Terrifying to me, okay? I take that very seriously. And so I would much rather just have the outline laid out by scripture than me come up with my own agenda. <laughs> so check it, check it, check it, check it. Against, do not be easily swayed, be deeply rooted. 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. So confusion is a sign of immaturity. They have no sense of shame. It's not wrong to be confused, by the way. There are things I'm confused about. That means in that topic I am immature on, it's a sign that I need to develop and grow in that topic. Not necessarily, immature is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a sign that that's an area you can grow in, okay? 
19, they have no sense of shame, like no, convic no conviction, no conscience. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is, we'll do whatever feels right. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. That's what that is. We don't want to do that. That's a lie of the world. It's not about what makes us happy. It's about becoming more like Christ. Verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature. That's what we show in baptism. Throwing off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So we've seen, and this is in your list, Signs of immaturity where there's opportunity for growth for you is if you're childish or foolish, easily swayed in your beliefs. Now, I don't want you thinking of all the other people that you're nudging right now, like this is you or the people in your life you're thinking of. I want you to compare this, this list up against you. The scripture is supposed to be a mirror to your own spirit first. So am I childish or foolish? Am I easily swayed in my beliefs? Do I constantly have a spirit of confusion? Am I lacking in conviction or a conscience? Am I lustful doing whatever feels good or feels right? Am I bitter or angry? Do I participate in verbal anger or verbal abuse? Am I gossiping and speaking negatively of others? Am I, am I partaking in drunkenness? These are the things that he's listed as signs of immaturity. Now, he also lists maturity. And that line is much longer because our God is a God of love and grace and mercy and fullness. So he is going to show us the right way to be. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 and then 23 through 32. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, speaking truth with grace. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So we're, a sign of maturity is if you are continually growing with the church in Christ. You're growing in your relationship with Christ, and you're contributing and participating to growth within the church, with the body of believers and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. So that's unity. Is there unity in the body? Am I contributing to unity, or am I contributing to division? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So am I healthy, and am I helping to spread health and growth? You can catch sickness. You can't catch health. So we need to be able to identify where sickness is so that we can help nurse back to health so that we ourselves can maintain health so that we can be prevented from sickness. We want health and growth. Instead, verse 23, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So a sign of maturity is that we are personally open to the Holy Spirit. Not us saying, well, you, 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 and you need to be more open to the Holy Spirit. Are you personally as an individual open to the spirit's influence in your life? Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, just lacking in sin. Holiness is without sin. So stop telling lies. Tell us our, uh, tell, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. So he wants openness and honesty and, again, unity. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So what this is saying, you need, it's not wrong to sin. It says don't sin while letting anger control you. Don't sin in your anger. Don't let the anger control you. It doesn't say don't be angry, right? It says don't have rage. It says don't let it control you. Don't sin in it. We need to have anger but deal with it in a healthy way. Jesus got angry. God gets angry. We see it in the Bible. Still happens. 
it's an emotion and it's okay, but we've got to deal with it appropriately. And it's one of the hardest emotions to deal with appropriately. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Again, we see honesty. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. A sign of maturity is, am I a hard worker? What is my work ethic like? And then give generously to others in need. So generosity and compassionate. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you. We talked about this the first week of this series. He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead... Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I'll tell you how you can say the signs of a healthy church. Is if there's more of verse 32 than there is of verse 31. Is there more of verse 32 or more of verse 31? That doesn't mean we're never going to have anything in verse 31 because we're all broken, sinful people. And we're constantly inviting people who don't even know God yet to come belong. So we will have sin here. But are we constantly growing towards more in verse 32? Are the scales tipped more of 32 than 31? It's a sign of health. So we got to speak truth graciously, continually growing with and in Jesus and his body. Unity, lacking in conflict or division. Being healthy and contributing to health. Not just being healthy ourselves, but using the health we gain to help contribute. Personally open to the influence in the Holy Spirit. We're going to do a series later this year on the Holy Spirit. But just a quick way to remember who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is, three C's. He's the comforter, he's the convictor of sin, and he's a counselor. He comforts us, he convicts us of sin that we need to confront in ourselves, and he counsels us in situations to give us wisdom and discernment. That's the Holy Spirit. Are we open to him convicting us? Are we open to him counseling us? Are we open to him comforting us? need to be lacking in sin, dealing with anger, be open and honest and hardworking, generous and compassionate, verbally positive and encouraging of others, kind and tender, forgiving, love overflowing in action, being wise in action, understanding and being intentional with our life, being filled with the Holy Spirit, singing together. He specifically says singing. Now, I think we dismiss that as like a personal preference or talent, but he very specifically says singing a lot in the Bible. So if we do ask ourselves, how does God want to be worshipped? I think singing is one of them. And being grateful. I'm going to read this one last passage. We're hopping back into where Jesus initially said, you are the light of the world. But I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. It, the subtitle for the Message Bible is in everyday language. And it says it in this really, really interesting way that I think is just very empowering. So what I'd like you to do is close your eyes and listen to me read it. This is Jesus saying this. Here's another way to put it. Everything we just talked about today. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So much of what we've talked about today 
these checklists, especially of maturity or immaturity, we know good people in our life who check the boxes of the maturity. What makes it spiritual maturity in our faith is that we don't skip the first two steps. We don't skip knowing God and we don't skip becoming equipped before we start to build these signs of immaturity. So today we need to check ourselves. Do we know God? Are we pursuing a relationship with him? Are we submitting ourselves to be equipped by someone gifted in the fivefold gifts? Are you gifted in the fivefold gifts? And you need to be equipped more in that to be able to help equip others. He doesn't give us the light so that we can sit inside. He gives us the light so that we can be open, helping others open up to him. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the fullness and the goodness that you want us to experience in our lives. For the openness you want us to have with you as you have given everything for us. For the openness you want us to be able to share with others. And I pray today right now as we examine our own hearts that you would let us know, God, if, if, if we don't have a relationship with you yet, that Holy Spirit as convictor, as counselor and comforter, you would nudge us right now to make that decision to follow you today. If, if we need to be equipped, that you would nudge us right now to be able to say, I need to be able to submit to an authority, a spiritual authority, that you would nudge us to be able to say, I need, I need to develop these gifts that you've given us, this, this calling that you've given me. I need to be able to do that. I'm going to do that. If we need to be challenged in our level of spiritual maturity or maturity, that you would point us out the right things and these things that you've listed, God, the, the things that we have opportunity for growth in. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us that today, that you would point it out, that you would nudge us in the right direction today, and that we would be open and ready to receive that and walk in it today. I thank you so much for your gentle grace, Holy Spirit, and for your leading in our lives. Now, with everyone still having their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity specifically, if you felt a nudge at any time today, but specifically as we were praying just now, that you need to start a relationship with God, that you don't know him yet. You haven't given him your life. You haven't made him king and lord of your life. You don't have a relationship with him, and you want to start there. you got to start at square one, and you're ready to start that today. If on the count of three you would raise your hand just so that, uh, that's, a, that's a step for you to make that decision so that it kind of engages your body in a physical act of what we're trying to do in your spirit, right? So if that's you today and you want to make that decision to make Jesus king of your life, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you today, make that decision. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. If everyone today would just repeat this prayer after me as we recommit our life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. I want to be deeply rooted in you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to walk towards you. I want to experience your fullness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those who gave their life to the Lord.